And welcome back, fourth and long fans. It's your footy correspondent, Coach Donnie Hess here, back with another off-season supporter series chat. And ladies and gentlemen, coming to me from Melbourne, Australia, we have Ross joining the podcast today. Ross, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Coach Donnie. Thanks for having me on. It's great awesome. to be here. Awesome, awesome. Let's get started before we get into the footy, because we're all here to talk about the footy. I like finding out just the littlest bit about the person that I'm chatting with. So if you want just a real quick bio of who you are outside of the game of football. Um, yeah, so I'm 28 years old. Um, I'm an accountant profession, so I'm a chartered accountant here um, in Melbourne. Um, and that's what I do. And then um, my passion, obviously, is sport. I love sort of keeping fit, do a lot of running, um, run a few marathons now, so I do a fair bit of running, uh, keep myself fit, treasure it down at the my local footy club, collegians who play in the amateurs here in, in, uh, in Melbourne. Victoria in the VAFA. Um, and yeah, I'm a quite a big Conga fan. So I think you know, remember now probably I think twenty five years, I think this year. Yeah, I think yeah, this year is twenty five years as a member. So um yeah, so quite a big fan and, and go basically most weeks we're playing in Melbourne. Um, so yeah, that's basically me outside outside footy is I'm an accountant. About to get married as well. So yeah. So um, my congr- my congratulations. A bit of probably Go self-described nuffy, basically sports nuffy, but yeah, footy nuffy. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We, and I, and just real quick behind this is that we were, we were scheduled a couple of weeks ago and he had his, he had his bucks party. So we had, we had to put it on hold for just the tiniest bit. So I, I wish you much love, much luck in that, in your future endeavors with your, with your fiance. So already yeah. we got, we got to go to it as a young man who, who's been around footy in a footy mad state in Victoria. I got to ask this, what is your favorite thing about the sport of football? I think other than like, I actually love the game and sort of how, basically the game like the actual game itself like no matter what footy you watch it's always great to sort of see two teams competing against each other i think that's fantastic i think other than that though, i think probably the greatest thing about football is how much of a um probably how much of a social equalizer it is um we talked a little bit about it just before we came before we came on air um but it's just the greatest i think probably it's really hard to describe but i've lived in melbourne my whole life and basically like if you're you know, if you're the person sweeping the roads on a Sunday morning, um, or you're a CEO, or you're a you know corporate high flyer, or whatever, or you're a tradesman, you will have a football team, and it's a point of conversation. I think it's something that brings people closer together, um, and it go it gives people a real great, especially here, it gives people a really great. Sometimes a bit over the top sense of identity, but it's something that people really identify with. I think mean, that's probably the greatest thing about football and especially the sort of the emotions of the game but also the emotions of the fan and I think how much how invested people are in Australian rules football is probably is probably one of the most special things I think you probably see it in other sports as well a little bit um too but I think probably in Melbourne because it's so there's so many teams and this is sort of where the birthplace of Australian rules football has come from there is genuinely like you know, there's a there's a genuine attachment to football teams, and I think that's what makes footy so special. Um, and I look at you know people in um, and I even look at my family like there's there's genuine that, that's sort of the first conversation point for most discussions between you know cousins and relatives and parents and that sort of thing. It's like how did your football team go on the weekend? Like it's 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 just what 
what really I think brings people together, especially in this in this city. Um, and that's what I think is great about it. Just that ability to bring, bring people together. And probably through COVID, I think, one of the things that you realise most is like how much the fans mean to the game and how much football means to people. Like you basically, as someone, I didn't come up with this, so I can't take credit for it. But someone said to me, they said, oh, you look at COVID, you look at the two things in football that you can't, that sort of, you know, basically you can't not have. And it's basically the players because they're the ones playing the game and the fans. You take away the fans and basically the entire spectacle is, you know, it's pretty pretty much dead. And you look at that from the local level to right through to the professional at AFL level, it's exactly the same. So I reckon that, yeah, the ability to bring people together and give people a sense of connection is just amazing. Yeah, 100% agree. Like I, I remember the first the first game back when they really started getting fans and the roar, the first time uh the holding uh, holding the ball, the, the fans of the holding the ball, it was it was music to my ears to rehear it again. And I I listened to it on an iPad with, with headphones, but it's still it's it's one of those that you get so used to it that when you had those years when you didn't have any fans, that you lost that mm-hmm. part of the game, that the 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 ball, like it and it's so loud and so cool. So I 100% agree with you yeah. on that one. Yeah, 100%. Fans are the lifeblood of it. They're the lifeblood of the club. There's there's so much to it. There, yes, you have the, the the 22 players, the Don, the Guernsey, but the however many in the stands become an extra man a lot of times, and it, it's fantastic to see. So we'll, we'll jump to it. You're still early in your life, but I got to ask this. What is your earliest footballing memory? Um, I don't know. From a personal point of view, I reckon I was kicking the footy around from sort of trying to basically kick the footy around from age basically so like my first memory is like having this tiny little black and white footy bought down one of the local sports stores here and it's still at my grandmother's house and i would kick that thing up and down the hallway there and and all that all day that's probably my earliest footy memory probably the earliest like just like kicking an actual football or trying to kick a football probably landing on my head not landing my head but probably landing on my backside a few times that's probably the earliest footy memories having a kick um, in the backyard at home, probably in terms of attending and stuff like that, I reckon definitely the first game that I think probably the earliest memory I have of going to football was I was I'm old enough to have actually gone to this old stadium called Waverley Park, which mm-hmm. used to be called VFL Park. So I think the first actual home away season game I went to was round 16, 1999. Collingwood played Hawthorne and probably. Yeah, the weirdest thing is, like, I don't remember that much about the game other than we won. We didn't win a lot of games that year. We finished last, but um, we won. But I remember having two pies and wanting a third pie. So that was probably, like, one of the earliest. So it's, like, and it's one of these things as well, like, footy, like, I would never, like, I basically would never eat a meat pie other than when I go to the football. And, like, I don't do it all the time, but, like, sometimes I'm just, oh, I feel like a pie today. <laughs> it's, one <of> these, <laughs> it's one of these things. That's probably one of the earliest footy memories I have. Um, and yeah, probably like as I said, we're probably um elaborate on a bit more, but I'm from a pretty footy nuffy sort of family, so we would sort of occasionally go and see a practice game at Victoria Park. We're kind of just to play and sort of running up and down as a three, four, five year old, running up the old um Sharon stand or the, the members stand there at Victoria Park. They're probably the earliest footy memories I have. Fantastic. So, and you've kind of said it a couple of times, you are a Collingwood supporter. So I got to ask this. I know you're in Victoria. I know you're Melbourne. 
how is it that you became a Pies supporter? I mean, in Melbourne, you've got 10 teams, so it's not as easy as some people say in Queensland where you've only got two teams. How is it that you became a Pies supporter? Yeah, it's funny. Um, anyone that knows me, it's actually quite funny. So, like, I'm probably a bit more tame, but Dad is definitely, like, the big Pies fan in our family. Um, so I didn't really have a choice. So basically at birth, I was given a conga jumper. Um, and I think I think my grandmother sort of still, she sort of still laughs about it a little bit. It's like, oh, well, kid didn't have any choice. Like kids got given a jumper at birth. It's been brought into the maternity ward there at the hospital and I've got the jumper on. Um, there was basically no other choice. So that's how I say it. Like we never had, especially in our family, like all yeah, myself or my siblings, we all barracked for Collingwood. There was no chance that anyone was going to be barracking for anyone other than Collingwood. Um, quite a funny story. I think when I was about two and a half years old, it was like the middle of winter here. And um, one of dad's cousins, also his good mates, um, he's a Carlton fan. And he said, it was like, oh, go and stir up your dad a little bit and tell him that you can barrack for Carlton. So I did. And um, obviously anyone that knows, you know, we hate Carlton, Collingwood hate Carlton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, dad particularly hates Carlton as well because of all those um, losing grand finals we've lost to him in, especially when he was a kid. So he hates them. And then um, he was like, oh, are you serious? I was like, yep. Um, yeah, yeah, I want to go for Carlton. So apparently he sort of, it was like the middle of winter, so it's relatively cold. It was two and a half years old, and I sort of got left outside the backyard for about half an hour, and I was sort of, you know, kicking in, <laughs> screaming down the door. And my mum was like, no, you're leaving. you got to let him in, you know. And then I think he sort of opened the door. He said, so you're going to barrack for Collingwood? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll barrack for Collingwood. He said, all right, good. That's the only reason why you're going to be letting the house tonight. So <laughs> I was actually pretty lucky because if I'd sort of taken the advice of barrack for Carlton, I never would have seen a premiership and I'd probably still be sort of coming home and kicking the cat or whatever they say. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but, um, yeah, we never really had a choice. Yeah, so um, I barracked for Collingwood. Um, family's originally from Greece in a place called Galamata and, like, the local soccer team there is called um, the Black Storm and they wore black and white stripes. So I think my grandfather, when he migrated out here in the early 1960s, I think he'd sort of adopted Collingwood as, as his team, not really for any other reason other than they wore black and white and the local soccer team back home wore black and white. So mm-hmm. that's probably where the connection came from and then it's been passed on sort of down generations. And, yeah, yeah, basically like... You know, it's, it's in the blood now. Like, there's no chance that anyone in my family will be supporting anyone other than Collingwood. That, you know, that like, is fantastic. And that's I what was... I love about it, too, is, like, that's one of the great things, I think, to hear, too. It's so, um, you know, you see different generations of fans go on to games every week, and it's it's just a, a really nice sign to see of, you know, that's the connection that a lot of people have. Like, that's really what brings, you know, a lot of people together um, and a lot of families together as well. It might pull them apart sometimes as well. I hate it, but yeah, I think all having the same team and sort of barracking for the same team is one of the nicer things. So yeah, that's how I came to barrack for Collingwood through um, through family ties, which I think is pretty common for a lot of people. Like I know all my mates basically, it's like they they barrack for the team that their, their parents did, um, footy teams especially. Uh, so yeah, that's sort of how how I've sort of come to barrack for Collingwood, not through anything other than choice, basically birthright. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. And I, and I finally got somebody cause I've asked a few, I've asked a few during this, during this particular podcast series, because I've always, I had always heard 
that there were there were the occasional parent that basically they kind of ultimatum their kid. It's like you you're in the family, you're gonna support this club or or you're out, you're gonna have to figure something out, you're not gonna live here different. So it was very mm. interesting to hear that story of you that you got left out because you told you told your dad you were going to barrack for Carlton. That's absolutely fantastic. I love those stories. They, they they really yeah. they make me chuckle a bit because as I say we've got so many huge sports franchises over here and again it's it's not mm-hmm. like the club so you don't have that kind of the the frantic fanatics of just one club that you do in, in Australia especially with footy so I, I mm. love hearing those stories those are absolutely fantastic so you, you kind of already answered this but I just I just kind of want to double check to yeah. be sure the first item that you were ever given a calling with was that the black and white footy that you kicked when you were younger yeah I'm pretty sure it was either it was either that or Collingwood. The, the first one that I can remember is the yeah, this black and white footies I've always had but yeah I'm pretty sure that I was given a Collingwood jump at birth like a tiny little one mm-hmm. As well, probably one of the other ones. We were moving, probably not a great one, but I remember a few years ago moving house, and it had been a little while since sort of when I was moving out of the family home. It was actually the day after the 2018 grand final. We lost to West Coast, which is one of the one of the worst days at the footy ever. Um, but I found this little book, and I think it's called like my first book, like my first magpies book. It's like one of those little the AFL put them out for all the clubs. Mm-hmm. That was sort of like made around the time I was born, and it was signed by, um, you know, Nat. Um, and it was like talking about a child going with his father, I think, to the footy for the first time, and it was signed by Nathan Buckley and Sav Rocker, who were two gun Collingwood players mm-hmm. at the time, and they were like, you know, dear Ross, you know, um, you know, um, go Pies, and signed it, and I think they had, um, I think at the end of it, sort of like the the bookend, sort of saying, oh, you know, next year. The, the kid goes home happy knowing that we've won. He's like, oh, this year we're going to win the premiership. Oh, well, yesterday I went to the grand final and we lost by five points. <laughs> but um, that's probably one of the other ones, like probably the earliest sort of footy, you know, Collingwood memorabilia or item I, I remember having. I've probably had a few others over the years as well. But, um, but yeah, that's probably, they're probably the first ones that I could think of. Um, but, yeah, that sort of connection, that touch and feel. Of having um, you know something something with the clubs is quite nice, and I think yeah, it's one of those other things as well. What you were talking about before, I love how um, yeah, I love how people from overseas find it quite fascinating about how sort of habitual and how fanatic fanatical we are here. Because I know I remember I've been to the states a few times. I remember I went as an eight and a half year old. And I remember asking sort of some family friends and some relatives over there. I'm like, oh, who do you bury for? You know, over here, and they're like, "Oh, well, we sort of, you know, I love Kobe or I love Shaq at the time." Mm-hmm. So they're like, "Oh, we sort of like the Lakers." But then there's others that are like, "Oh, I'm sort of a, a Bulls fan because I like Jordan or, or you know." And now at the time, it was he was still playing the Wizards, so it was like I always found it weird that like people would follow players rather than mm-hmm. teams because here it was sort of bred pretty. It was sort of like indented pretty early on in my mind that no, you barrack for the team. And the players that play for the team, not sort of uh, you, you barrack for players mm-hmm. per se. Yeah, well, I've, mm. I've said it. I've said it a few times in a few of my podcasts. Here is I said American fans were fickle. We love winners, so I, oh, you yeah. would be surprised how many people that, as you said, they, we we barrack for players. But we also barrack for winners. So there, there are people that if you go if you go back in their timeline, 
they were a Patriots fan. And then as soon yes. as Brady moved, they became a Bucks fan. But they were only yeah. a Bucks fan when they started winning. Or they're a Atlanta Falcons fan during the '90s when they were really good, and then they became mm-hmm. then they became a Carolina Panthers fan or a, or a New Orleans. Like we, they migrate. It, it's kind of interesting. Now there there are diehards that watch their team and their team only, mm-hmm. but there it is fascinating how many more people are very much fickle. They'll move they'll move about. So it's very fascinating. In fact, this is actually a great transition to my next question because as we. I I say this all the time. Fan being a fan and being a supporter is, is the most interesting thing in the world because nobody does it exactly the same. Nobody does fanning exactly like you. Nobody does fanning exactly like me. So I love hearing this. Can you describe your 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 fandom or your supporter of the of the Collingwood Footy Club? Because as you said, you grew up with it. You were basically born into it. You've you've gone into it and you've become a bigger fan as you've gotten older. So just a little bit about your your support. Are you you go to every game? Do you try to go to interstate games whenever you can? Do you try to make it? Or are you one of those? If I miss a game, I miss a game. Yeah, I'm probably one where if I miss a game, it'll be like oh, I'll miss a game, but I'll try hard not to. So I try to make sure that, like you know, it probably gets a bit annoying at home, but I try and make sure that we sort of try and. I'll try and, you know, make sure I can get to the game as much as possible. Um, I do try and go interstate. I like sort of going interstate once a year, but it's sort of hard. Um, it's hard to sort of plan. I think it's become a little bit harder now with floating fixtures. I know that this year mm. we've got, I think, the first 16 rounds. Um, and as I said, I'm sort of involved with some some local footy here as well. So that makes it a bit typical because it's, it's funny, like we play – locally like back in the day it's sort of like when dad started going to the footy and when you know my dad and my aunt and, and they would go to the footy when they were kids and teenagers it was like vfl footy back then which is now afl footy was played at 10 past two o'clock and then it became 10 past two on a saturday afternoon and that was basically when every team played i think the swans used to play when the swans moved up to sydney they would play sundays um every second week up in sydney for home games but so it was sort of very regimented as to when you played, whereas now there's sort of a lot of different times and a lot of, so it's pretty hard, but I try and, you know, I've got reserve seats, so I figure I might as well try and get through as many games as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I don't watch the game, I'll try not to sort of follow the score. I'll come home and try and watch, try and watch like a good chunk of the replay to try and see. Um, I find footy really hard to watch on TV because I don't, I don't feel as though there's, it's hard to say, but I actually love watching a game and love it, love watching the battle between the two teams. So I actually like sort of how teams set up behind the ball, where teams are set up offensively and defensively. And you can't it's it's a bit of a struggle sometimes to see that when you're at home on the tally because the ball's just sort of the camera's following the ball, really. So you don't really get a full understanding of why are they chipping the ball backwards here and you know, why are they trying to triangle kick in between you know, 45 degree arcs and things like that. Whereas when you're at the game, you can actually see the entire ground, you know, on the field. Like you can see all the players on the field. So you can sort of see where the game's going a little bit. And you can try and sort of telegraph it. Um, that's how I see it. So I try and get along to most games. Um, and I also think being there as well is just one of those things that it, it's great. Like you don't know what will happen. That's one of the greatest things about sport. I think that people really underrate. And, and I really appreciate is how sport is live and, you know, anything can happen. And it's the greatest form of 
sort of entertainment from that point of view that you genuinely don't know what's going to happen on, on any given day. Um, so it's actually great being there to be able to witness this. So I think there's always and you, there's always stories to come when you when you go along and you see this sort of stuff. So I try and get along as much as to as many games as possible. As I said, AFL fixturing now is just insane. Um, but yeah, fortunately this year Collingwood's actually got a pretty good fixture. Um, so I'll basically be going along to every Melbourne game. I love going to interstate games. I think that's one one thing. Probably Collingwood, we don't play a whole lot of interstate games. It's just lucky we play a lot of games in the MCG, a couple of Marvel. But yeah, going to interstate games is fantastic because it sort of gives you a bit of an us versus them mentality. And you sort of, you wear your colours out, like I'll wear my, you know, Collingwood brain jacket or whatever out. Or, um, and, you know, you'll go, you walk down the street in some of these cities, especially Adelaide, where the ground's pretty close to the city. And you wear your Collingwood gear and everyone will be like, you know, you, you'll sort of, get some pretty sort of nasty looks from the locals. But then every sort of once in a while, you get someone going, go Pies, and you're like, yeah, go Pies. And you've got no idea who they are. You'll probably never see them again in your life. But there's that connection and sort of a bit of an ass in there, man. I love that. Um, so interstate games are awesome. Interstate wins are just another level of of fun because I think it's sort of it's a bit of a license to sort of paint the town black and white a little bit, <laughs> um, <laughs> even more so, especially the Collingwood Army. I mean, it's... It's pretty, pretty amazing. But yeah, I think that's probably what it means to me. I love going on to the game and love just being a part of that two, two and a half hours of game day, um, plus a little bit before and after. So it's always good to be there, I think. Um, you get a full understanding and a real good appreciation of, of the game when you're there. Yeah, I completely. I don't know how. That, I don't know how. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how people do it every week where they watch it on TV. Like those COVID years, as I said, were probably. They're probably for me the first time where it's like you actually sit down and watch the footy at home. And I actually realized I'm just not a very good TV watcher of the game. Like, because mm-hmm. as I said, I can't see the full ground. So I'm sort of a little bit flustered. Um, I'm, I'm sort of a bit dumbfounded sometimes as to what players are doing and trying to sort of figure out what's going on behind the ball where you can't actually see the, the footy, you know, where you, what you can't see on the camera. So yeah, I, I sort of realized pretty early on that. Basically, yeah, going to the footy is what I love doing. Um, and watching it at home is probably never going to be the same for me. No, but, 100% understand. And it, it's, it's the one thing that kind of being a fan over here is I've, I've gotten used to it, but I, it is the one thing I cannot wait when I do get a chance to go to a game is to be able to see everything because trying to coach my guys over here, it's another thing that I noticed myself is I'm not always watching the ball. I'm watching where are my defenders set up? Where are my forwards set up? Mm. How's the setup in like, there's a ball up that I that's close to the sideline. I'm trying to see are my, are my midfielders moving different things? So I know exactly how you feel on that, but it's the only way I can watch the, the AFL currently is on, is on my iPad as, as of speak. So right now I'm kind of stuck with that, but I cannot wait for that particular one. So we'll go to the next question. I think you kind of already answered this first game you ever attended. You said it was in 1997 at Waverly, correct? Yeah, no, uh, 1999 at Waverly. 99, yeah, okay. so 1999. So I think I just turned five. Yeah, just turned five and Collingwood played Hawthorne. Um, I actually think the game was on Fox Footy. So we've got Fox Footy here. Um, I think the game was on Fox Footy not that long ago. I found it on YouTube somewhere and I sort of watched bits of it back. And I think it was one of those classic Collingwood games in the 90s where Buckley dominated and kicked a couple of goals and, and we sort of had a good win. But we had four wins that year and won the wooden spoon. So it's probably 
probably a good sign. But yeah, that's probably the that's the first time I went to the footy, um, an actual game game. I've probably been to practice games before. I can't really remember it though. Um, and then the first time I went to the MCG, which is sort of for me like footy at the G is the pinnacle of like there's nothing better than footy at the MCG. Um, Collingwood played Hawthorne round one the next year, and we won that game as well. And that's probably. Probably the first time I probably really fell in love and appreciated the game as well. Just like sort of rode that bit of a wave, I guess, as well of being like, oh, wow, this is quite kind of cool. And then from then on, yeah, basically I'd, I'd go with dad most weeks, basically every single week after that. So from age five and a bit, yeah, I was at the footy every week. Fantastic. All right. And with, as, as a club in Collingwood that has a ton yeah. of history, I'm very fascinated on this question because it's always interesting mm -hmm. to see who, who people like. Do you have a favorite player of the past that wore the Collingwood jumper? And do you have a favorite player currently who's on the Magpies list? Yeah, it's funny. Like, again, like, because my understanding of football is like, I'm a Collingwood person. Like, so I love, so all my favorite players are always going to be Collingwood players. I remember when I was a kid, um, a lot of my mates around that same age, Ben Cousins and Chris Judd were the, the gun midfielders and they loved them. And like I loved them and they were awesome players, but I, they were never my favourite players. Like I'd never go and wear their jumpers. Um, probably the first favourite player I had was Nathan Buckley, um, but just because of how, just how good he was. Like, even as a young kid, I remember not really understanding the game that much, but I just remember how good Bucks was in terms of he was basically the best player in our team, the second, third, fourth best player as well. Like he was just unstoppable in his day and he could, he could almost play every position and he was pretty, pretty immense just as a footballer because we weren't very good and he was just so dominant. Um, and I think that as he got a little bit older, the team got a little bit better and we made a couple of grand finals and unfortunately couldn't win any of them, but he just sort of showed, you know, how much of a great footballer he was basically. And, and I think... When I was a, so when I was a kid, the junior members at Collingwood used to be called Buckley's Brigade, which is like an absolutely great marketing tool. And like any kid that's probably between like yeah, born between like eighty seven and ninety five, probably went to a Buckley's Brigade clinic at Victoria Park in the school holidays, like I did, and it was probably the highlight of their school year. The, the highlight of the year was to go to one of these clinics, and I think that that's that's probably the first player that that I really fell in love with was was Nathan Buckley. Um, and probably the other favourite player around the same time, we used to have this guy, Anthony Rocker, who kicked, you know, these big bombs. He was he was actually at the Swans for a little while, your mob, for a couple of years, um, and then came to Collingwood and was an absolute star um, centre-half forward. So they were probably the two favourite players I had as a kid. Um, it was actually funny. One player that I really loved when I was young was Nick Davis when he was at Collingwood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the uh the swans and then i was a bit i was actually really devastated when he went so i had his number and everything and after buckler yeah the, the next jumper i got was a number 19 with nick davis on there and i remember when he left this and went to the swans i was like really really upset that nick davis had gone i, I sort of love the fact he was a sort of small forward love kicking goals and a bit of a cheeky fella as well um but yeah probably current the other ones as well i'd probably put dane swan up there as well like swanny was just an absolute ball as a footballer just dominant and, it, and he's got like a, a magnetic this sort of wouldn't call it magnetic but he's got this like very funny personality where like he pretends he doesn't care but he, he actually does and he's quite a funny bloke because 
I think he doesn't. He basically doesn't care about what people think, which I find kind of amazing. But yeah, they're probably the favourite sort of players that I have. Probably Buckley and Swan. I'd say probably the top two of the past players. Probably currently now. Um, I just love watching Nick Dacos when the kid's 19. I think he's just turned 20 years old. Um, the things he does on the football field, like he sees the game so much better than, than anyone else. And I think that um, it's going to be great going to the footy for the next 15 years to watch Nick Dacos. Even his brother, older brother Josh is, is a very, very good footballer as well. Um, and I enjoy watching him. But yeah, they're prob- probably, I'd say Nick Dacos is my favourite of the, the current players. Um like it's funny, like every time he sort of, every time he has a shot and he's about to kick a goal, like I sort of get a little, like I do, like, it's like I almost feel as though he's going to kick it. Like he's just that, that sort of player where he's got great skills and you know what he's going to do. Um, and yeah, I can't, I basically can't wait to go to the footy to watch him for the next fifteen years and hopefully dominate the AFL. That's that's how I see it. <laughs> Fantastic, I love. And he, it. and he had such a good, he had such a good year last year. Like his first year comes in. Straight away, I think even people were saying at the club, like he'd lifted training standards, he'd lifted, you know, he, he didn't just come in thinking, oh, I'm going to play. He was like, no, I'm going to show you why I'm going to play and why I'm going to be a, you know, a gun player in this league. Um, and the things that he can do with the football is just is sensational. He sees the game so much better than, than a lot of other players. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we get a few more of him because we probably need a couple more, but... Um, but yeah, he's probably the one that I have at the moment, number thirty-five. Awesome, awesome. And and I gotta ask this as an American, I gotta ask this question. Thoughts mm. on thoughts on on the big American Mason Cox? I gotta, I gotta yeah, ask. Because he, <laughs> he, um, he's a weird one. I actually, I, I actually, um, I actually saw him down the street here last week, and he's he's a very tall fellow. I tell you that <laughs> he's a very very tall man. Um. Coxie is an interesting one. I think he's probably, I think, probably the greatest. That 2018 preliminary final where he took 12 marks, you know, 10 of them were contested, kicked, I think, I think he kicked three. three. Yeah, I'm not sure. Three goals. I know he, he, did he kick four? Or he kicked, I know he definitely kicked three. I know he kicked, he kicked three. I don't think he, I don't think he yeah, kicked Yeah, he kicked three goals in the first three. half, though, and yeah. he basically just, it was one of those games, I've never seen anything like it, where, his player just comes out and he, and he just played on another level that night. I think mm-hmm. that, and and the week after the grand final, he actually played quite well and, you know, he kicked a couple of goals and he did what he had to do. But I think that people probably had this unrealistic expectation that was going to happen every week. But I think it's just amazing to see how it's probably, it's strange. Like you probably see it, in, you probably see it in the NFL now a little bit as well. Where you see these punters go over and within a couple of years, they're, They've gone from never punting a football or like this Jordan May leader that's playing the Super Bowl next week, where they've never played the game, and then five years later they're playing, you know, in the, the best league in the world and, and dominating. Um, but yeah, you don't and, and you see a little bit here with two of the international guys, but yeah, hats off to Coxie because he would have gone from never kicking a football in his entire life, playing scout team basketball at um, I think we were Oklahoma was, State. Man. Ohio State, yeah. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, because he actually started Oklahoma off. State, as, he started State. off as a helper for the women's team. The men's team's coach saw him practicing with the women's team. Yeah. Said, "I want him." They brought him to the men's team. He mm-hmm. was actually scout team, but then they put him on because he actually got to play against Joel Embiid in a game between Kansas and Oklahoma State. There's a picture of him yes, guarding so Joel Embiid. That, yeah. 
so it's 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 a very he's got a such an interesting uh, story and that and the fact mm. that now his brothers play usafl footy one's in austin and one's in seattle now they play footy now over here so it's it's just such an interesting story yeah. for me well and, i think that go ahead yeah i think even the story as well it's great that he's come out here because i know that yeah i think that he was on the women's team but he was like a he was like a dummy i've read an article i think he was like a dummy they saw him in the gym one day and they're like oh you can be like a dummy for lisa leslie or whatever or, or mm-hmm. one of the whichever like one of the whoever they sort of were trying to play against in the women's team that was sort of like a tall defender. So they needed someone to sort of role play or like sort of, um, you know, playing scout team and training, which I think is amazing. And I think that his transformation is something that's really special. I think the the thing with Coxie, I think is really underrated is his ability to sort of reinvent himself. Like he's sort of been a bit of a pinch hitting Ruckburn, a key forward, a sort of secondary forward. Um, He's worked really hard on his game. I've noticed like, Below his knees is obviously never going to be great, but he's tried to get a bit better below his knees um, and and he never stops. You, you're never going to die wondering. And I think he's he's really bought into Aussie culture and Aussie mantra, like the Aussie mm-hmm. mindset really, really well. And I think that's what's really endeared him is he actually now sort of speaks a little bit like us, but he's still uh-huh. got that American playing, that American accent. But he's got a little bit of an Aussie, Aussie slant to it as well. Yep. And I think that, He's a really, I know that down at Collingwood, he's obviously a really loved, you know, member of the playing group down down at the club. Clearly, he wouldn't be there if he wasn't. But yeah, he's a, it's it's just it's actually an amazing story. Like, just put it aside. Like the story itself is is incredible. Um, and yeah, if, you know, if he can if he can sort of play this year, um, I think he's probably got a he's probably got a big role to play this year again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a as a ruck forward for us, but yeah, you know, he he's not um yeah he's never going to die wondering, and that's what I think people here really really sort of love about him. And that mm-hmm. that eighteen preliminary final, like Alex Rance is, you know, in his generation, Rance is probably you know that five or six year period, Rance was the best defender in the mm-hmm. AFL. And yeah, even I'm though he with you on that one, yeah, even even though he he started on Dugowie that night. Dugowie was pretty hot and they sort of moved him to Cox and Coxie just tore him and, and really sort of ran him ragged as well. Did what Rance did basically to, to, to forwards most of the year, just ran them ragged. And, and I think that that performance itself probably, you know, because it's in preliminary final, it doesn't sort of, doesn't sort of get that elevation of a grand final, but the performance itself, I think is something that, you know, people should look back and think, wow, this guy, considering that five years before that, four years before that, he'd never actually seen a football. It's mm-hmm. just incredible, the transformation. And even now, five years later, um, you know, how well he's been playing over a period of time is is a real testament to him. So, and I know, yeah, it's great to see that he's playing in the AFL. I'm sure there's probably, you know, his brother's playing USAFL and I know his parents come out here a lot and mm-hmm. they love it as well. And yeah, it's, it's one of those... Um, yeah, it's one of those really nice stories, I think, as well. He's he's become an Australian citizen too, so I'm not sure you can. <laughs> not sure he's the American pie. He's maybe Oz American pie. Yeah, he's he's yeah. he's an inter- he's an interesting character. I met him. He's he comes over to nationals to see his brothers play, and I got to meet him and shake his hand, and he shook my hand, and it was like literally my hand disappeared. That's how big his hands are. 
but he's he's exactly he's one of those few that he's exactly like he is he's just long and wiry like he's not super muscly he's just long he, he's in very mm-hmm. linear so he, he's an interesting specimen for sure so we'll yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll go from it's why i'm it's one of the um frustrations that i have actually it's like it's like <laughs> if one of the frustrations of calling that i have is like we're probably not like as a team, we're probably not the best kicking team in the AFL. Like the Dacosses have magnificent foot skills and so does Sidewater and Pendlebury. But other, we don't have magnificent foot skills. But my, my view is like the game's pretty simple. If you've got a guy that's taller than everyone else, if you just kick it up in the air a little bit higher and try and actually kick it to a point where he's going to mark at the highest point, no one's going to be able to spoil it nine oh, times yeah. out of ten. So just do that rather than kick to his chest or his ankles or whatever. But yeah. yeah. Or 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 if he at least can't he mark very it, he at least can knock it down for crumb for a crumbing uh moving a forward coming forward to yeah, tap, like the tap right. like he he there for a while he became so good at the tap down if he couldn't mark it he made sure to tap it to to mm. a Dagoe or or a Jamie Elliott who's screaming by in the process mm. so then it's an easy catch and then he's got a shot on goal so yeah. he's he's learned he's developed his game I'm very interested to see how how the season will go like I said Brody Grundy being out but we'll talk about that in just the tiniest bit I, I want to ask this next question because I love yeah. seeing the sparkle in people's eyes in this next one most memorable moment as a Collingwood supporter oh easily the 2010 grand final like the replay that is not the actual the grand final itself was pretty gut-wrenching <laughs> draw um and i could actually it was actually one of these games where you saw it coming as well like you thought oh geez we've missed a few shots in the second quarter here and we could have been well ahead and then St Kilda came back and they had a great team like don't get me wrong rewild Hayes, Del Santo, Goddard, like they were great. Lee Montagna, they had, they had, yeah, Montagna, um, you know, even guys like Sam Fisher was, was a very, very good defender back then as well. Mm-hmm. Like they just couldn't get there and you, you knew they were going to come back. Um, and it was one of those like gut wrenching games, like, oh God. But then the next week in the probably, probably the, the favorite, the moment was like we sat on, we, we were sort of sitting on the the bottom level of the Olympic stand at the MCG, which is towards the punt road end. And it was when, um, when Rewalt took his mark in the grand final replay and uh, Heath Shaw, you could, I could actually see, because I could see Rewalt took the mark and I could see that Heath Shaw was actually running. And I thought, he's going to get there. Like, because he, because Heath Shaw was, you know, he's a very sort of dogged player. You could sort of see, he's actually probably going to get here. And then he got there and he smothered the ball. Like, he actually didn't smother the ball. Rewalt just missed it, but he put so much pressure on him that, you know, it becomes, you know, it goes from being, I think we were one goal five or six or something. I think we might have been two goals two. Yeah, we were actually two goals two, and they were like zero, zero four. So it goes from being a four-point game to still being a 10-point game. And St Kilda, like, you could sort of feel like it was almost like at that point in the game, all the pressure was out of the game. And from that moment on, I was sort of like, that's, I, I just knew that from that day, from that moment and that day, that there was no chance we were going to lose. And the rest of the day was just unbelievable. It was almost magical. It was almost like it didn't happen. It was almost like, whoa, what actually happened here? And like, you could see, I was 16, so I wasn't really, like, I was old enough to appreciate it and loved it but i didn't understand sort of the emotions probably because it was the first one and i was still a kid so there's still that little bit of a romance element but you can mm. see sort of people like dad and all of his mates that we go to the footy with and their families and and a lot of the older ones were sort of like they're a bit emotional like a bit crying and i was sort of like oh it's a bit over the top but i could sort of see why because people are so invested in it and they just love their team so much and like especially 
I think so it's like my dad and one of my best mates' dads are a year apart. They're 58 and 57. And they've seen two grand final wins and two grand final draws. So they've seen so much, and, you know, probably eight losses. So they've seen so much heartbreak that winning is just one of those, like, fantastic feelings. And I don't know, to probably put it into perspective, like, the feeling, like, when you play, and I've played for a long time, and sort of the feeling the 10, 15 minutes after the game when you won is fantastic. And it's, sort of like, great. You sort of talk shit with your mates. You sing the song, and everyone's really happy. And then... Um, you sort of go on your way after that. And that was sort of like the feeling that day. But because it's grand final day, instead of it being 15 minutes, it's like six hours. So it's like, I remember afterwards sort of just like going around and sort of being around at the ground and sort of like everyone's just bouncing up in the air. Like it's almost like, it's almost like, oh, wow. Like, and it's, it's one of those like favorite memories I have. It's just like how many happy people there were. Like you didn't see, because by this stage, you know, by the time the, the presentation happens and everyone sort of, gets themselves together and everyone's walking outside the ground and going back to the the bars or, you know, the, the club or wherever. Or I think everyone went to Amy Park after that opposite um, for like where the players get presented, got presented um, to the fans. But everyone's just like bouncing around. It's just like the most magical moment. Probably that's my favourite footballing memories. Just like the day, how happy everyone was. And yeah, just like the euphoria. Like if you could bottle that emotion salad it would it, yeah be worth you know millions basically because it was just and i think that it's one of those things that you know you, sport provides that and and that investment you have in your team whether it be you know and when it's such you know a full investment when you're really really invested in it and then something like that happens because you know it's not going to happen every year it's just a really lovely feeling um personally and also every other fan so yeah, that's what I remember. It's probably the favourite footballing memory is definitely that grand final win. And I just remember, yeah, how happy. Like, Dad was sort of really happy that I could go to school and say that Colin would have been premiers because when he was at school, we would lose grand finals every second year. And, um, you know, he hated the fact that he'd have to go to school and there'd be some sort of, you know, Richmond or Carlton or Hawthorne fan sort of pointing out that they'd won more grand finals than we had in that period. So, yeah, I think that's that's one of the nice feelings. Probably the best feeling I've ever had at the footy was definitely that um, 2010 grand final replay. And just yeah. Winning. Fantastic. Hey, after, after as a fan, game. it's all you want to see. You just want to see your team win. So when yeah. your team wins the biggest game of all, just excitement is just on another level. Agree, agree. I have to tell you. I have to tell you a funny story. Once we're done with this, I'll tell you a funny story about the about the the replay and, and kind of what happened because I, I actually got to watch that, and it was one of the first grand finals I got to watch as a group with my team up here. But I, I won't waste podcast time because I have told that story before. So, all right, we'll, we'll jump to it. We, we've talked about the past a little bit. Let's jump to recent times, and we've we've just come off a crazy season for the Magpies. Mm. That I mean, you. The Magpies were the talk of the entire AFL at times because you guys were the cardiac kids. Every single time you got down in some game, you found a way to win. So I got to ask this, Ross, how mental was this season for you? And do you think you aged about five years? Because if I was in your shoes, sir, I don't know how much my ticker could have handled some of these games for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know really. It's, it's it's a bit difficult. I think as the year progressed, oh, I definitely there were some games that it was like 
it was pretty favor pitch. Like it was very like, oh God, what's going to happen here? Um, as it sort of got on, I think early on, we sort of played play teams like Adelaide, play teams like Hawthorne that finished a fair bit lower on the ladder than us and, and GWS. And we sort of either had big leads and they came back and then we just held on or, or we sort of came back and won in close months. So it was sort of like, oh, that's nice. But then you play teams like, um, I think the probably the biggest ones this year were your games. You get, the games we played against Carlton and Essendon were essentially, you know, Elliot kicks that goal after the siren um, and everyone went insane where we were. And then to play Carlton in the last round of the year and then Elliot to kick the goal with a minute to go put us in front after we'd been pretty dominant early, then totally lost all momentum in the game and the game looked like it was done. And then to find another gear. Although as the gear went on, I sort of noticed that the players... Um, I sort of lucky through one of the groups that I'm with that the coaches came and um, had, had spoken to us a little bit as well um, through one of the supporter groups and sort of said, oh, we actually trained for this. And it's weird, like, you're talking about Collingwood before. Collingwood's just this massive club where we train at Olympic Park, which is the MCG, which is a public space, so anyone can go there. There are people that go and watch training every week and a few of my mates have got to know these people. So it's like you hear what they do at training and they actually train for situations like this. So when I'd heard all that, I sort of wasn't that worried. So it wouldn't age me that much because I sort of knew that the players out there had trained for this and, and they were sort of ready for it. Um, and, and it was actually really it was actually really nice to see because Collingwood has this sort of idea that I've got this idea with Collingwood, we, we basically choke. We're more of a choking club and we've got this choking mentality, especially in big games. And I know that none of the players played in the 80s or the 70s or, you know, the 60s or the 50s. But I feel as though there's this mentality among supporters that we're fragile, we're frail. We don't like people coming at us and beating us. Um, and we take it really badly. And even I do sometimes as well. But, yeah, I felt as though this year it was just great to watch because, yeah, it was it was good to go to, you know, you sort of knew that we would win the close game, basically. And, and I was... Yeah, you could sort of beat your chest out about it a little bit, but I, I was sort of really proud of how the players and the coaches sort of um, were able to do all that because at the end of the day, winning winning is fantastic. Like if you lose, you know, for example, that game against Essendon where Jamie Elliott kicked the goal after the siren, we kicked three goals in the last five minutes of the game. We were terrible that day. We were absolutely nowhere. But when it counted, the players stood up. I think we played North Melbourne at the MCG on a Saturday afternoon. North Melbourne were stone mother lost last. I think they lost by 100 points the week before. Now five goals up at three-quarter time. And somehow we came back and I think we beat them. Like we, we could last six goals of the game in the last quarter and ran over the top of them. But it was games like that where you sort of really appreciate the comeback. And, yeah, it's great to watch. It does age you a little bit. Don't get me wrong. But as, as I said, as the season got on, I sort of had more and more faith in the players and the coaches that they knew what they were doing. So I was happy to sort of watch that even though it's a bit stressful at times, but I'll be, you know what? I can hold back the boys in here. And I think it's it's a really underrated skill to have is like execution of skill and um, ability to execute plays under pressure. And I think that we were able to just do that so fantastically. And hearing that we trained for that during the week makes sense as to why that was happening on game day. But yeah, it translated really well. It was great for a fan actually. 
it was as I said, normally we're on the, the the losing end of all those close encounters, and it sucks. But yeah, it was great this year to sort of put it up a couple of a uh, couple of other teams. That's for sure. Yeah, and and definitely for sure. And, and again, your your team was one of those that the previous year you were down down in the bottom of the unfortunately down in the bottom of the competition. But I kind of agree with what Nathan Buckley said. Is I don't think last year the previous season was a, a true indicator of Collingwood because if you look at the two previous seasons, they were in the finals. They were a tough team. They were there. So I kind mm-hmm. of appreciated what they did because I think they kind of reality checked a lot of teams that Collingwood wasn't a bad team. They just had a bad season. Things just didn't go their way the previous year so 100 agree with you yeah. so we'll, we'll jump from the regular go ahead yeah i was gonna say even from like yeah from the difference between like 2020 and 21 was like we we're playing over a dower i know buckley was sort of he was sort of trying to rein like at the end of 2019 we'd sort of had a few wins against geelong and and, and some other teams playing a really dour defensive style of game and then he tried to translate that into 2021 and it just didn't work with the players and you can sort of see it was wearing the players down like very defensive you know kicking six or seven goals a game and it was like what the hell is this this is really boring especially when you're sitting at home you've got nothing to do and you're watching this game and there's no one at the game but it's super boring and it's really defensive and it's it sort of gets you down a little bit so it was actually good to go to the footy last season and watch a little bit more attacking footy but also the ability to win close games and sort of get over the top. And it, it does give the fan, like definitely would give me a little bit of a, you know, pep in your step. Like you get, you get excited by that and you want to see teams playing well. And as I said, I think we had probably a bad 18 months before that. We probably didn't play the best we could, but I think last year, the sort of shackles off new coach, new game plan, new system, new structure. And and you saw a lot of the players, especially the older ones flourish and even the younger ones come through and, and play some really good footy, like you, you give them Dacos's, those sort of types of players. Murphy comes in later in the year, playing or playing good footy um, and enjoying himself. So yeah, I really like that. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating. So let's let's jump to we'll jump to the off season, the tiny bit. Brody Brody Grundy gets shipped out. Not a mm. lot of bring ins, but again, a group that um I think is is fantastic. You bring in Mitchell from you bring in Mitchell from the Holly yeah. from the Hawthorne Footy Club. So do you keep an eye on the off season? And if so, what are your thoughts on the moves that Collingwood made? Yeah, 100 percent, Donnie. So I'm a big. So it's it's actually weird. So when we it's actually funny because I'm a supporter, right? I'm a quite a big fan. So the years that like the years that we don't make finals or we're, we're playing terribly, I sort of um, sort of shift focus once we aren't going to make finals and we're playing poorly. I sort of shift focus. Okay, who's available in the draft? Go and watch some draft stuff. See who they're talking about in the draft. See who's up for trade. You know, look at what sort of list holes that we need to fill. So I'm I'm fully over the offseason. Like I actually probably think it's a bit overdone, but I actually enjoy the idea. Like I think here it's probably a bit oversaturated. Like we. There's, there's stuff at trade radio where they talk for four weeks about mm-hmm. the same stuff and it's it's just like oh, and nothing God. happens <laughs> it's like oh no this is terrible the trade week, is the trade week is a week they talk about it for four weeks and half oh. the half the damn friggin trades don't go until the last day and then i found yeah. this out that the afl made a rule that they don't actually announce any trades or can't be doing any trades until within two hours of the end of the deadline i'm like Oh my god, really? Yeah, there's these weird rules now that they've implemented oh. as well. And it's sort of like 
I remember like back way when like trade deadline would be like two o'clock on a Wednesday or three o'clock on a Wednesday or a Thursday. Mm. Whereas now it's sort of like, oh, the 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 trading times is like from nine o'clock till five o'clock. But then on the last day, it's from three o'clock till eight o'clock so that we can get some primetime TV or whatever. Uh-huh. Like it's, yep. it's, 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 it's total. I think it's where we've become way too Americanized as a sport. Um, and I watch, you know, I, I watch a little bit of NBA and I watch a little bit of NFL as well, but um, I watch a decent amount of NBA. And I sort of see it going on there. It's like, oh, okay, this is just, this is too much. We're trying to become like America. We don't have the population size and, and the people that actually follow the game are getting a bit infuriated by it here, I think. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I keep an eye on the off season. So I was sort of interested probably in the off season. I thought that, yeah, at the end of the year, I thought that, I think there's probably a lot of things. Brady Grundy going out. Grundy's been at the club for 10 years. He was on this massive deal. Clearly, the new administration weren't happy with the previous administration signing up a Ruckman on a seven-year deal for a million dollars a year. Um, so I think Brody will always have to, have to wear the badge that he was the highest, you know, to this day, he's the highest paid player at Collingwood in Collingwood's history. Um, and, yeah, it's it's it didn't work out, and that's fine. They wanted him out. That's all good. Um, I think that we've got Darcy Cameron, who's a good ruckman. We've got Coxie as backup. We don't really have a lot of other ruckmen on the list. We've got this young fella, Aiden Begg, and that's it. So it's probably left us a little bit sort of holes. But um, I think, and I think it's left us a little bit light on for for tall ruckmen um, mm-hmm. at the moment. But you can probably manufacture a ruckman, I think, if you had to, like a sort of a haphazard one. Um, but I think probably what we what we identified, like it was pretty obvious to me that a guy like Brady Mindchip, who's a workhorse, he probably needs another key forward to help him out a little bit, to do a little bit more of the grunt work, um, especially because he's he's just turned 30. I think he turned 30 yesterday or the weekend. Um, but <clears throat> but I think bringing McStay helps with that. Um, clearly, we probably lack a really, like Ginevan and Elliot are great, marking forwards and they're good forwards but we probably lack just a pure crumbing forward who, who that's their sole job it's not to get yeah, to put on pressure but it's also basically once the ball hits the ground you know that eight times out of ten this guy when he gets the ball is going to kick a goal so i think mm-hmm. ian bobby hill does bobby hill does that for us so i was really glad that we sort of were able to get him in and i think the other thing i noticed was taylor adams is our vice captain and he's a great player and he's a great leader and he leads really well he's might not be the greatest kick in the team but he's he's dogged he's determined and he'll give everything for the club and for the jumper but when he's injured we really lack a, an in and under inside midfielder mm-hmm. um and with tom mitchell being our favorite hawthorne and sort of grundy going out the door it actually made sense that we would get tom mitchell into the club because everything i've seen from tom mitchell like yeah okay here's leg break he might not be the again. He might not be a player with the, the most penetrating kick or the greatest spread spread from stoppage. But I tell you what, he's great at, and he's absolutely a leader. He's getting the football, knowing where the football is going to be, and clearing it, and basically handballing or, or or providing clearance to a player that is able to run from that stoppage. You know, a crisp or a, or a, um, probably a Nick Douglas now, not not Pendlebury. Um, or a side bottom type player, or a Josh Dacos. So I think that's really important. So I think we've had a really good off season um, in terms of just being able to refresh our list a little bit and probably get the players we need at the right price to probably have a good tilt for another flag at, at a flag this year. Um, yeah. And over the next couple of years, so I'm actually quite happy. So I follow that 
Um, our drafting, I think, is really. I think our drafting was was quite good this year. I know that we picked up a kid from WA called Ed Allen, whose dad played at Hawthorne and Fremantle, Ben Allen. And Ben Allen was, I think he might have been, I think he won a best and fairest when Hawthorne won a premiership in the early, in 91. I'm pretty sure he won, but he he, he was a very good player back, uh, back then, Ben Allen, before my time. But his son is, I think, about 193 or 94 centimetres and he hasn't really filled out in his body yet, but he's a big, tall midfielder with a good long kick. And it's probably something we needed. We probably didn't have, we probably don't have a, like a younger, big body midfielder. So I think that really fills a, a hole that we had on our list. And hopefully he can come in and play some games. And I don't know how, I haven't heard too much. I'm not sure we'll probably play early on, but I think that hopefully as the year progresses, if you put some good VFL form together, he might come to the team and, and be a good player. And we've picked up a bloke from the country, a country football league as well. And um, we picked up another guy, Jacob Bryan, yeah, and the other fellow, Joe Richards. So I think we've done well. So I, I actually, yeah, back to what you're saying, I actually really do like following the off-season. Just more, not like the the sort of the gossip stuff, but seeing who we pick and, and how we sort of play. Because I think that that's, that's one of the things. Once the season rolls around, um, you know, that's when you actually see them play. So you sort of hold judgment off. But it's sort of nice to have that little bit of hope and optimism, I think. Especially when your team's going rubbish. Like if your team's rubbish, it's actually really good to have the off season to see who you're going to bring in because next year is always going to be better. That's the thing with footy. There's always there's always next week or next year or or whatever. There's always something to look forward to. So I think that's that's one of the good things. Like as I said, don't like how they've sort of structured trade week now, but yeah, actually getting players in. It's actually funny. Like talking about getting players in, it's funny because in so nineteen ninety three. Collingwood signed Tom Mitchell's dad to a three-year, $1 million a year. $1 million over three years back then, which is you know, crazy money. Mm-hmm. They signed him to a three-year deal and he lasted one year at Collingwood. But I think Tom, 30 years later, playing at Collingwood is sort of a bit ironic as well. <laughs> that is um, very interesting. I, I think I think that's ironic as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing how he goes this year as well. All right, I'll I'll let you I'll let you full on Nuffy. What are your thought? What are your thoughts on next year? Do you th- do you think the Collingwood they can keep this magic and have another great season, be in the finals, potentially be a top four side, or you one of those you hold back what we call well some would say is expectations because footy is a very unique creature. You just never know uh, injuries. It can be an, an evil thing, especially with a thin um, ruck spot in Darcy Cameron, Coxie, and then unproven talent i think that's the one thing as a pies fan that i would be a little bit worried about is if darcy cameron goes down how how are your ruck stocks going to handle a season if he's out for two three four months yeah i've got this yeah i'm also probably a bit like you i think that like i've got i try to look at things relatively optimistically but also sort of logically as well like i think that yeah probably our ruck i think mcstay the good thing is actually one thing I noticed was in the finals, Brisbane played Melbourne and McStay went into the ruck for a half and was actually quite good and actually nullified Maxi Gorn. I know that Gorn was probably carrying a, a bit of a, a back injury at that stage mm-hmm. of the year, but it sort of showed that he can do it a little bit. So that that helps from a just a, a makeshift ruckman position. But yeah, I, I'm I'm probably with you in that realistically, you've got to look at it and say, well, Collingwood, we've got, you know, we might, we've added 
we've probably added it every position, but the ruck position, it's just a matter of internal improvement. And the thing is this year, I think last year, teams didn't really ex- know what to expect from Collingwood, mm-hmm. especially after the year we'd had the year before we finished second last. Um, whereas this year, teams are going to know that we're going to be, we're a good side. So teams are going to hunt us. Um, and it's a matter, and they'll, they'll sort of know the game style we play now. So now it's a matter of actually trying to probably probably get that, how would I say, probably master that game plan a little bit better or, or just nuance it a little bit so that um, we're not as predictable. But I think that chaos football is, is so unpredictable that it actually kind of works because it, it's chaotic for the other team as well as for us. So, yeah, I think that we should probably be looking to play finals, definitely, um, and, and making top four. Will we do that? I think that I think we should be making finals. We should be winning 14 games, so we should be making finals is my view. Um, will we win 16, 17 that we need, probably the 16 we need to to make top four? I, I don't know. That really depends, but I think it depends on how the season goes. But I think, yeah, one thing I do worry about a little bit is is depth um, with, our, with our list because I think that we're probably, especially coming off these COVID years and sort of a little bit of a lack of draft pool coming in, um, we might struggle a little bit just depth-wise because we don't have a lot of sort of players in our reserves that have played a lot of senior footy. So I'd be a bit, bit reluctant to say if we've got a few injuries, we might be in strife. Um, but, yeah, I think that our best footy is probably somewhere between, at the end of the home away season, I think somewhere between probably third and, and sixth is probably where I see us probably finishing up realistically. Um, and, and I'd like to see that we're probably challenging for top four once again. That's 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 my expectation as a fan. But if, if we missed finals, like I think that would be a real sort of fail. Basically, that would be a step back. Um, mm-hmm. So it's now based, based on sort of consolidating and trying to improve is how yeah. I see it. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see can Collingwood back it up because I agree it's kind of like the it's kind of like the grand final team that everybody's gonna know how you handle everything everybody's gonna have a book mm-hmm. on you now so it'll be fascinating to see will teams kind of go into a shell late in a game if Collingwood is down a couple of goals to just kind of uh, kind of wean them away from that ability to to crawl back so I'll be fascinated mm-hmm. to see how that goes. So we'll move on to my next question. And I love this one. This is a lot of fun is, as you kind of said, the Americanized of, of Aussie sports. I've, I've heard a lot of people argue with it, but it's always fascinating to hear this is that Americans. We love to tell, we, we love to be the general manager. We want to be the guy making the moves or the yeah. list manager, yeah, as you yeah, say, in Aussie rules football. So I w- I want to have some fun with you. I'm going to install you as the Collingwood Magpies list manager for one day. All 17 of the other clubs are completely open. You can bring in one player, one player from any of the 17 other clubs to make Collingwood be the potential premiership for this year. Who's that one player and why? Oh, easy. Uh, This is probably, it's probably a positional one, but I reckon any of the clubs are in the one player that I'm probably taking at at Collingwood is, is probably Charlie Curnow from Carlton. I was sort of thinking about this. I was thinking, is it Harry Mackay and at Carlton as well? So it's probably one of those two blokes because mm-hmm. key forwards win your games of footy and key forwards that kick goals are becoming rarer and rarer. Like you look at a club like um, Richmond, they had Rewalt and Rewalt was just an immense footballer. But then as soon as um, Tom Lynch went to Richmond, 
it changed their dynamic, their forward line. And all of a sudden it wasn't yeah. like you just had one big bloke to worry about. You had two absolute guns. And I think that you add someone like um you had someone like Mackay or Kerno, who I think they're 25 going they'll be 26 this year. Mm. So they're 25 Still going young, 26. Very young. Got, they've got their they're coming into their peak now. They've had some issues with their bodies, but they're playing their best footy. They're terrific football, great marks, very athletic, hard to defend. They're the ones I'd be going after. They're, they're basically the, the missing piece to the puzzle, I'd say, um, at Collingwood. So I'd love, yeah, I love the idea of being yeah, the GM or the list manager, basically. Like we sort of, it's actually funny, like when it, some of the conversations at home sort of like, we almost pretend we are the list manager and we say, well, how much would you do giving this player and where would we be playing here and where does he fit on our depth chart and all this sort of stuff? Um, so, yeah, they're the ones I'd be going after, Kai or Kerno. So one of those two, probably, as I said, probably more probably more leaning towards Kerno because I think that his ability to just run up, because he's so fit. I think when he was a kid, he was a 400-meter runner. So he's just got this great tank being able to sprint up and down the ground. And, and be able to get into good positions. He's a hard matchup against because he's athletic. He's also strong above his head and he marks the ball really well. So I'd probably go for for Charlie Kerno um, if we could find find a player, sign him up on a five or six year deal for 800 or 900,000 a year. He's probably getting that at Carlton anyway. So he's no chance, no chance he'll probably leave for less than that. But um, yeah. I'd be signing him up. It'd be fa- it'd be fascinating to see that Carl the Carlton Collingwood because I know Dale Thomas was a unique cr- character being able to play for both clubs so thought it was yeah, interesting well, that you pick a Carlton it's player. Actually <laughs> funny. Tom, Tom Mitchell's dad left Collingwood and went to Carlton as well, which is funny. But yeah, Dale Thomas, Dale oh. Thomas, um, hate Scotland as well. There are a couple of other players that have gone from Collingwood to Carlton. We had Jordan Russell came from Carlton, played one year at Collingwood. And, Everyone, all the fans, like he wasn't a bad player, but he was very much maligned because everyone called him that Carlton bloke. Like it's not we just <laughs> I don't love it. We we just uh, don't like we're very parochial. We don't really like the idea of players switching between Carlton Switching and Carlton, between the be two honest. teams. One hundred percent. One hundred percent understand that. All righty. So I, I'm I can't wait to hear this answer on this is because um as in 2020 and 2021, as you kind of stated, is that with COVID, we had to move the grand final out of Victoria for the first time. And it went to the Gabon. It went to Optus mm. Stadium. And as a Victorian, I, I want to hear your opinion on this. I was surprised to hear Victorian media notorious. Again, I I, I don't I don't begrudge them. You've got 10 teams to talk about it. It, it doesn't surprise me. Mm. I was surprised to hear them bring up the topic of should we look into and again, 50-year contract with the MCC. Again, comment section, calm down. I'm, I'm yeah, suspend yeah. the suspend reality for just the tiniest bit. Mm. W- would you be at all interested at all, or or is it a completely a non-starter that the M's that the that the grand final potentially could become a traveling grand final, even if it were, were once every four years, or are you a MCG? It must be an MCG because it lets it the least keep some tradition. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my genuine perspective, like I'm a Melbourneian, I'm a Victorian. I don't really like the idea of the grandfather going somewhere else, put it that way. Just put it simply, <laughs> I, I don't, um, yeah, I, I just don't, no, I, I don't really like it, basically. Like everyone, yeah, I've got this view that playing, the grand final of the MCG is is actually one of the nice things. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's no, there's no. I know, I know, I know. You're just asking, but it's it's genuinely just my opinion. Like, I, I don't. Like, I know what they're trying to do, and I think that. I think that what it actually does is it, it really. I think it commodifies and it tries to commoditize, what is actually something that might be valuable, but is actually I think a lot more valuable to the fans, and it actually belongs to the people. Um, and people might say, oh, but then that should be shared around. I was saying, well, no, because you know what? At the end of the day, we've got the MCG. That's where the grand finals have been played, you know, for 100 plus years now, 120 plus years. Um, and I think that it's one of the nice traditions we have in our game is that the grand finals played at the MCG. And I get that back in the day, back in the 30s and the 40s, I think it was just it was just Melbourne and then eventually Richmond moved to the MCG, but it was just one club and then it became two clubs that played all the home games there. And the other clubs would sort of play there maybe once or twice a year at best for, for sort of bigger games, but they would play at their own grounds and it's not really a neutral ground anymore. I understand all that and I understand all the whinging, but at the end of the day, the Victorian Football League, which became the Australian Football League, have always played the grand final at the MCG. And I think that that's one of the nice traditions we have in sport. And if you try to sort of sell it to the highest bidding state government and or, or whatever in other states, I think all you end up doing is basically alienating fans who actually care about the game and it just becomes about the money. And I think that's one of the big things about the AFL is the actual, the league itself has become way, way, way too focused on Sort of making money for executives and, and looking good for, for corporates and that sort of thing and actually forgetting that the actual people and the members and the fans are the ones that actually make the game sort of what it is and, and actually provide that special fabric to the game. So you don't I don't I don't really particularly like I get with COVID things are a bit different, but I hate to think like I'd hate to see like for example the game, I know it probably wouldn't be played there, but imagine the game being played at the SCG where the capacity is 40,000, the stadiums, you know, the MCG, the southern stand of the MCG is quite old, but um, but playing at the SCG, old facilities, old stadium, and it's actually like you're locking out a lot of fans and you're locking out a lot of people in general and mm-hmm. it's just not. You, you may as well play at the big stadium in the country and that's the MCG. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing like I think one of the great things is the yeah, the the sound of the bounce, like the roar of the crowd when the when the national anthem finishes at the MCG is awesome. The roar of the crowd when the, the first bounce goes up is awesome as well. And I think you you can't replace that the you know, 130 years of history just by saying all right, well we want to sell it for 100 million dollars a year to wherever whatever state other state government wants it. Like it just doesn't sit well with me. So. Yeah. I, and I'm very parochial about Melbourne and Victoria. So yeah, there's that, a, where, there's, there's nothing, I sit on it. There, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I completely agree. But the, the, I know some people could also say that technically, if you look at it, hundred thousand seats, but really only fifty thousand are actually the supporters of the clubs because those are the oh, uh, the, the given. It would even be, be forty thousand at best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like so it's, a majority of the MCG is actually more corporate tickets. So it's it, it is one of those. It's a it's a it's a give or yeah. take one there. I, I completely understand it with you. I I, I don't mm, think it's but... going to happen. I think the MCC has kind of got the AFL by a noose. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think yeah. this fifty year contract is going to be one of those that, as soon as it gets within ten years, they're going to 
lean on the AFL. Hey, da 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 da. Mm. Then the AFL signed a longer contract. I don't think it's going to happen. Mm. But it, it, was, it was an interesting that Victorian yeah. media had brought up that particular topic. That's why I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, so, it's it's an interesting one. And even back what we were sort of talking about before, probably one of the great reasons that I love the 2010 Grand Final replays. There were ninety three and a half thousand people there, and every single one of them barred for Collingwood St Kilda. It mm. wasn't like it was a corporate grand final. It was genuinely like yeah, genuinely, the, re- the replay the was, was just the game was an absolute, <laughs> The game wasn't a great contest in terms of it wasn't you know this this titanic battle like the week before was, and we were sort of like on a knife's edge. It was mm-hmm. sort of pretty one sided and, and great to watch as a Collingwood fan. But um, but yeah, it actually made it really special that there were that many people there that all supported that one team. So I think mm-hmm. that. Yeah, in grand final week, even if it wasn't for corporates, 100,000 seats would be sold just like that. I mean... Oh, agree. Yeah, if, you know, if GWS played Gold Port Adelaide in grand final, um, I'm not quite sure there'd be 100,000, but I'm sure there'd still be a great atmosphere. And I threw, I threw I that that's what time. People Gold, Co- Gold Coast and GWS coming in, and I said, I said, I'd be fascinated to see. I mean, I know it's pie in the sky, but it'd be fascinating to see if that actually happened. That oh, we would no, get would a be. smaller attendance. We'd get a smaller attendance because you have two interstate squads that are both two of the the two youngest clubs in the entire competition. Very little, very not as much history as many of the other clubs that are in there. It'd be, it'd be fascinating to see. So I I want to, I want to jump to this next one because I'm fascinated because for, for you as, as a Melburnian, um, mm. the AFL decided this year to do, to kind of go, Hey, NRL, we love your idea. We're going to steal it and we're going to change its name to gather around. So I'm very yeah. interested <laughs> on this because gather round over an essay this year is going to have all 18, all 18 clubs over mm-hmm. in South Australia. The majority of them going to be playing in Adelaide. So as, as a Victorian, I know there's a little bit of a little bit of animosity sometimes between SA and, and Victoria. So I asked this, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on gather round? Is this something that you like? And do you have any plans to attend any of the games over in, in South Australia? Um, yeah, I, it's actually funny. I'm from Melbourne, so people from Adelaide, like Victorians and South Australians, I think the animosity is probably more between <laughs> South Australia and Victoria and Adelaide and Melbourne, Adelaide against Melbourne. Whereas I think we probably think that, like, I'm from Melbourne, so I don't really have so much of a thought process of like, oh, what's going on in Adelaide? What do they think about us? It, it's pretty irrelevant to me. Um, I think it's probably more they're worried about it. But I think the idea itself is a, like yeah, the I know the NRL do it. Um, I've never been to one of their um, magic rounds, and I actually can't get to gather around because of local footy commitments here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be, I think it'd be interesting to sort of see how it all work. I think it's a really good, it, it's a really good marketing ploy, I guess, for the South Australian government to showcase South Australia and some of the regions and Adelaide and Adelaide Oval. And I've been to Adelaide Oval, and it's a fantastic stadium. It's really beautifully situated. Like it's literally, you know. A, a 10, 15 minute walk from from the center central business district of Adelaide. And it's it's a really central, beautiful spot. And it's a it's a great little, you know, you stand on the hill and it's sort of a bit old school. And the rest of the stadium's quite um is quite modern as well. It's only about 10 years old. So it's quite quite a interesting ground and it, it's a really, really old school place um from that point of view. And I think it's got a nice, nice old school touch with, with a bit of modernity. But I think, yeah, it's probably a nice I Dear, like, will it work going forward in the future? I'm, I'm not sure, but I think it's it's something to trial. Um, and I think it's probably a good thing to showcase, yeah, probably 
one of the things that AFL footy has become is become sort of very much a corporate game. So it'd be nice to actually see some of these local clubs probably try and put on a really good deck for, a, for an AFL game and, and see what that's like as well. I think that there's going to be one or two games played in the Adelaide Hills and mm-hmm. and that'll be nice to see what, what sort of those local footy clubs can do to, to sort of... Um, to sort of you know boost their profile a little bit and and also probably give their their region a little bit of exposure as well. So I think it's it's actually a it's not a bad idea. And I'd be more than you know in the future I'd be more than happy to sort of attend a gather around. I don't I don't have an issue with it at all. Um, only only probably issue I have is twenty two games going to twenty three plus finals. Um, you just want to make sure that maybe I don't know the players seem to whinge a lot about how much how many games they're being played and how physical the game is. So you just want to make sure that they're okay with it. But I guess that if you're going to try and grow the game, you've got to take the game to some of these places. And I think it's probably something the AFL's done well. Like there's been a few more games the last 10, 15 years in Darwin and Alice Springs now, places like Cairns um, as well. And I think it'd be good to to take some games to to different regions of the country, um, not just practice games, actual games as well, um, just to try and, yeah, grow the game in those areas. And I think that this gather round is probably a good idea to do that. It's a good way for the AFL to make money as well. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 something it's sort of a wait and see, but I'm not I'm not anti it. I'm sort of I'm very open to seeing what it's actually like. And you know, I think if I was put it this way, if I was traveling to watch Collingwood play whoever on a Saturday, I think Collingwood's playing St Kilda or something on a Saturday afternoon, I'd probably stick around i might go on a thursday i'll stick around on a sunday to watch a game yeah i probably would if i was going to do it you'd make a weekend of it so it's probably not a bad thought um but yeah not sure yeah not sure not sure it's going to work but we'll see i'm optimistic that it could i i think it'll be attended well sa love their footy so i think sa will go yeah and that's i just be very fascinated to see the interstate I, I, I listened to a podcast out of SA and I guess all the hotels in town that particular weekend are already yeah. sold out. So yeah, already, I, yeah. I think I think it's going to be well attended. I think it's going to go well. Mm. I'm just interested to see, like I, I said to a couple of people, I said, I just hope that the weather is good because if the weather, if it starts to rain, I worry about the Adelaide Oval come Sunday because natural yeah. grass field if it starts to get rain and you've got six games on that one pitch it's going to be absolutely destroyed if it rains at all so i'm crossing yeah, yeah. my fingers really hoping that they have good weather because if so i think the adelaide oval deck will be fan- it'll it'll be it'll be able to handle it but i just worry if the weather gets any kind of interesting any kind of mm-hmm. rain that it, it could really tear up a, a the ground which may make the footy come saturday or sunday not so not so worth the yeah. watch it could be old. yeah correct it could be old school it could be um I don't know <laughs> the old mud pits <laughs> yeah i was gonna say if you sort of look at the mcg from pre i think basically when they made the great southern stand out of shane warn stand in mm-hmm. 1992 when they built that basically anything pre that time from like the 70s to early 90s the mcg was basically a mud pit and an absolute bog of a ground the majority of the season and if you have a look at cricket being played there during that period as well, the ground looks terrible as well. So it could be a real old school. Actually, Collingwood played, when we played Fremantle last year at Opta Stadium, there was a torrential storm. And because of the, I think someone was explaining to me that the um, that the the ground there is actually underneath the water table. So when it rains, basically the, the ground becomes like a, you know, becomes like a, you know, basically a lake. 
Um, it was actually kind of nice to see because you don't see that very much these days where it's yeah. super bogged and, and all that, which is probably makes for a better spectacle. But because we don't see it all the time, it actually might be interesting to see how the players cope in those conditions. With but, less yeah. than ideal. Yeah, that would, I that agree would be with you. Like, the game will be well attended. I think if it rains as well, that's one of the other things is if it becomes one of these weekends when starts to rain torrentially or the weather's really, really cold. You'll find that a lot of these neutrals who probably went to watch their team and might go to another game, they're probably like, well, yep. if I barrack for Collingwood, why am I going to go watch Fremantle exactly. versus yep. um, Fremantle versus whoever they play or Adelaide versus Port Adelaide or something? Because there's not that investment there. So, yeah, you wouldn't want to see that happen where there's don't. tickets sold and people don't rock up. No, don't want that at all. All right. So my my next question, many people that listen to this podcast know that I am a huge, huge advocate for the women's game. I think the AFLW and women's footy is a huge growth opportunity for the AFL. So so I ask this just because I, I have a lot of fans that are huge AFLW. Do you keep an eye on the AFLW and do you keep an eye on Collingwood's AFLW team? And if so, what are your thoughts on last year's team and other finals appearance? Yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, so I, I do keep a track of probably the scores. Like I don't watch too many games, but I do keep a track of the scores. I know who sort of the main players are. Like I know that um, Bree Davey is probably our best player and she's been one of the gun players in the league for a little while. Um, Chloe Malloy, Ruby Slasher. I know I know who their names are. So I know, mm-hmm. they, I know the girls. I don't follow it religiously but as I said I do keep a track of the scores I think it's one of the things the AFL's noticed I sort of look at it and think goodness me like the AFL if they'd done this 20 years ago oh my god like the game would be so much better Mm -hmm. progressed Um, one thing I do think with women's footy that I find really hard to watch is that the game style I feel as though the women are really talented um, and they're very good footballers, but I think they're coached as though they're male footballers too much. Like I don't, I feel as though they're trying to do, they're trying to implement AFL systems into AFLW systems and they don't actually realise, like it's sort of like trying to coach a local football club here or like a, a USAFL club, like a professional club. I, I just don't think it really fits where the current mould of AFLW is at. But mm-hmm. in terms of players themselves, like I know that, um, one of the players, she used to play at Collingwood, she plays at Junior Burst now, Alicia Eva. Mm-hmm. She was a few years older than me and she played at the same junior club and she was a star. Like she would win the competition best and fairest in the boys from like under nines through to 12s when she couldn't play anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I think I read an, I think she started a girls team at the club because she wanted to just keep playing footy. And I think story, and so I think you've got to understand that these girls, especially the high level ones, the, the sort of the dominant players in the league are actually fantastic athletes they can kick 45 50 meters both feet um it's just i think that as i said i think the way they're coached it probably doesn't let them bring out their skills and and sort of the game becomes a little bit um sort of rugby like in terms of everyone sort of crowding around the ball and sort of gravitating towards the ball the ground sizes are probably in my view a little bit too big as well um and i think that would open the game up if potentially there wasn't um, you know, it, it would open the game up and be a bit more exciting. But I think, yeah, the AFL should have done this years ago. Like, mm-hmm. this is basically one of the greatest catalysts of growth in the game. And if you have a look at, like, a lot of, not everyone that I know, but you look at a lot of the Collingwood people that I know, like, a few of the ladies that sit behind us, they're 
genuinely passionate Collingwood people and, and they're females. And 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 I think that's one thing that the AFL's really sort of harnessed now is probably the fact that with AFLW is that it's brought so many more women either back to footy um or, or back into sport or, or introduce them to it for the first time. And I think that's that's one of the great things is you don't want to limit your market as to who you who you're trying to appeal to. And I think that the clubs yeah, as I said, if if Collingwood had done this, you know, if the clubs had done this 15 or 20 years ago, it would have been so much like so much more progress and down the road. And it's sort of, I think they're all kicking themselves. Like I think every everyone from league headquarters, from the executives there, to all the executives at the club, to all the players at the club, are kicking themselves that this didn't happen 20 years ago. Is how I look at it, um, because it's really grown the game. Well, and even though it might not, and it might be loss making at the moment, but you know what? I don't think that that's I don't think that's relevant because I think you're genuinely, you know, the game's in a, in an okay enough position at AFL level where you don't have to worry about clubs closing their doors every second week but mm-hmm. uh, or every second season. But now you can sort of extrapolate this growth and you're, you're enabling basically a whole bunch of girls who never thought they would have been able to play, um, you know, for, for the club that they love or in the sport that they admire, like they're passionate about. Um, and you take, you know, and, and you're giving them an opportunity. I think that's a great thing. And yeah, I couldn't, as I said, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I'm not a huge fan. Of, I don't follow it week to week and all that really religiously like I do with the AFL, but I think it's a great, great thing. And if anyone who sort of says that it's not, I think I'm not really sure they understand the power of sort of being able to dream. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what this enables them to do. It gives girls the dream, the same as boys, you know, because someone like my sister could never have dreamt of playing for Collingwood, mm-hmm. who's a year younger than me, even though I was never good enough and um, still not good enough. But I could always say, oh, well, hopefully one day I could play for Collingwood. Whereas that was never the that was never an option for girls. So it's great to see that mm-hmm. that's the case now. Yeah, one hundred percent agree with you, and I think it's. I, I, it would have been great to start it early, but again, I think it, it, this is something that with with the with the paths now and, and youth footy and youth girls mm. footy just exploding. I, I think this is this is we're we're only scratching the tiny bit of the iceberg on the surface of AFLW. Yeah. And I agree. I think eventually, I think financially, I'm not really worried about it because I think eventually it is going to pay for itself in in, in leaps and bounds once you start getting. 10 12 15 seasons in and you start getting so many new draft classes of girls that have been playing yeah. since since they were youth instead of having to stop at 12 years old because Oz kick stops at 12 for girls then they gotta go oh, go play netball go play basketball go play cricket mm-hmm. go play anything except footy so 100 yeah. percent agree with you on yeah. that one so yeah and i think the other the other good thing as well is about the girls is like yeah the pathways coming through now are exactly the same for the boys as they are for the, uh, the girls as they are for the boys so i think that's 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 a real that's a real game changer whereas i think probably early on you're finding all oh, the girls they might have played footy when they were five or ten, between five and ten, and then they went off and played hockey or netball, or basketball, or and then they've come back with soccer. Um, but that's not the case anymore. I think there's more girls probably sticking to footy, um, and and yeah, that that flows through. And I think there's, you know, you're seeing that at the top level of the AFL. And it, as I said, it will, you know, it will get to the AFL level where all these girls will go through the pathways, and then the ones that don't make to the AFL will play VFLW, and then the other ones will play local footy as well. So it's sort of 
it, it will take time, but I think it will yeah. flow flow down. That's just sure. patience. Just patience yeah. is what we need. So, all right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I, 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 the next few questions, next couple of questions, I, as I said in previous episodes, are a little bit of research because I'm, I want to get to Australia. It is on my bucket list. I want to go to as many of the stadiums in all of the states that I can. MCG, SCG, Adelaide Oval, Optus Oval, GABA. I want to try to get to all of them mm-hmm. as many as I can. I know financially it's not cheap, but I want to get there. So when yeah. I go, I want to be ready. So when I go to the game, I ask this. As Americans, we love food at the sport. Mm-hmm. So I got to yeah. ask, what is your go-to food when you go to the footy? Uh, oh, yeah. Talk about not cheap. I know flights from America to Australia or vice versa aren't cheap, but... Um... Mm-hmm. Food at the footy is is pretty dynamite. Um, the G has sort of changed their food options around the last little while. Um, probably the go-to for me was always, yeah, either a pie or hot chips. Um, that's probably the go-to of, of sort of what I'd get. Um, probably the good thing about the G is it's actually pretty close to Richmond and I'm a, the Richmond, the actual suburb, and Swan Street, um, which got some great food joints. So if you want something a little bit better, I always say to, you know, pop down there pregame, have a, you know, have a sort of a, a you know, a counter meal or a burger or something like that at a pub and a beer. We are after a bit at the actual game. Yeah. I reckon you can't beat a pie or a, a hot, you know, some hot chips. That's probably the, the staple footy food. I know people, other people like hot jam donuts and things like that. It's probably not, um, I don't mind it, but it's probably not my staple footy food. Whereas yeah, hot chips and, and, and a pie is probably the, the staple footy food for me. Um, but yeah, be prepared to take out. I've been to stadiums in America as well a few times, and yeah, <laughs> be prepared to take out a few, a few dollars. But yeah, they're probably the two best and probably best value for money options as well. So, um, especially here at the G. So yeah, I think I normally get the hot chips and um, either a four and twenty pie, just a classic four and twenty meat pie, or they've got um four and twenty chunky beef and. Um, chunky Angus beef and I think pepper, so I don't mind that mm-hmm. that pie as well. So it's a little bit, a little bit, uh, a little bit more upscale from the standard meat pie, but yeah, they're probably the go tos in terms All of right. food. Yeah. Th- those those have been the two most common answers. Is the hot, is the bucket of hot? Chips yeah, I was going to say yep. The bucket yeah, of hot yeah, chips and the meat pie are the, are the two most common. I've had a couple people say they don't eat at the footy. They're too nervous. They only want to watch the footy. The footy. I've had one. I think one hot jam donut it took me forever to finally get somebody to say hot jam donut. But I'd heard all about that. I'm not sure about sausage rolls, different stuff like that, but it's very interesting that everybody has a little bit of of a different thought. So, and here there's the coup d'etat when I go is is everybody is your seat, where you're sitting, how do you view it? So I got to ask this, where is your ideal place to sit when you go to the footy? Um, So I probably, so we sit, I sit behind the goals at the Ponsford end of the MCG on the second level. So just on the balcony level, which are great seats. Um, Had these the 19 seasons this will be the 19th season we've had those seats there so um it's great because you can actually see the whole game so as i said you can sort of see where the players are set up behind the ball and it's fantastic so i I really like it there but probably ideal for me would be on the wing center wing um able to see sort of either end of the ground on that second level or third level first couple of rows and you sort of be able to see the whole ground it's just magnificent um, side on and yeah I think you, you feel really close to the action basically and and they're probably the, the spots I, I like being a little bit elevated I know that sort of when you're lower down when, when you're just on ground level you sort of can't see 
what's going on as well over the other side of the, the ground. So I sort of like the idea of being elevated at the footy and they're probably the ideal seats. So either behind the goals or centre wing, but probably I'm probably leaning towards now sort of saying behind the goals because I've sat there for so long. So mm. and with a crew, like I go, I go to the footy with the same people every week. So whether it's, um you know, dad, a couple of dad's mates, he's been going to the footy with 45 odd years now and their kids. So it's actually quite a, good little crew and then the people around us we've been sitting for yeah with them for nearly 20 years so kind of like that <laughs> it's one of those yeah. nice things about being a, a season ticket holder or a member as we call them here is that you sort of get to know the people you you sit with and it's a you know it's a not everyone's the same everyone's got different views but mm-hmm. everyone loves a jumper and that's what makes it great it's your footy it's your footy family as i've heard some people yeah, say yeah. is that you be, you kind of become a family because you get to know each other you're constantly always meeting there so it's it's fantastic so i'll go to my last question and mm-hmm. i love this question because i found that i'm now starting to look some of these up because i think it's fascinating for me to see history and that is mm-hmm. favorite game of footy you have ever seen live on the telly at the ground doesn't matter men's or women's doesn't matter what is your favorite game of footy you have ever seen Favorite game, yeah. This is probably a bit, bit hard. As I say, probably can't go past the twenty ten grand final replay in terms of just like the fact we won a grand final was amazing. Um, but honestly, probably the favorite game of footy I reckon I ever watched. Even though the next week's next week result was terrible, but the two thousand eighteen Collingwood. Um, oh no, no, probably actually no. Probably the favorite game of footy is probably the two thousand ten preliminary final against Geelong. Um, so it's probably, I think we, we kicked the first seven goals of the game in the first quarter and we just dominated them, absolutely mauled them. And the game was over, but, you know, about 15 minute mark of the, the first quarter, a penalty was kicking goals on his right foot. Lee Brown had that crazy kick that sort of went 85 meters, bounced three different ways and went through for a goal. Um, and then Ben Johnson kicked his seventh goal did a balk around Cameron Ling and kicked one on his left foot from 50 metres out and sort of put his hands up and it's sort of like, wow, we're really on here tonight. And it's probably the probably out of all the times I've seen Collingwood play, I thought that's probably the best team in terms of the best collection of individual players and team on the ground that we've had. And it's probably the best quarter of footy I've ever seen. Like we literally, I think Geelong had Gary Ablett, Jim Bartell, Joel Selwood, you know, Chapman, Corey, uh, Hawkins, like so all their their generation, Scarlet, all their generational players. And and we had our best team and we dominated them. And I just thought, wow, like literally we're probably playing, you know, the best side of their era and we're completely mauling them here. And this is incredible to watch. Um, so yeah, that's probably the best game of footy I've ever watched. Um, from that point of view, just and even probably the second one was probably the 2018 preliminary final against Richmond, where for some strange reason, I don't know why, where, where the big Coxzilla came out and destroyed destroyed Alex Rance in Richmond. <laughs> but I don't know why, but for some reason, even though Richmond had been totally dominant that season, I thought I sort of thought before that in the week leading up to the game, I didn't want to say anything to anyone, but I was actually quietly confident that we were playing really well and we could actually beat them. But then when we came out, I was like, oh, wow, we're kicking, we kicked the first five goals of the game. And I was like, oh, geez, like, we could be on here. We could, we could actually win here tonight. And then, and then we actually did win. And it was sort of like, it was, it was almost surreal in a way. It was almost like a 
sort of pictured this happening, but I didn't want to tell anyone because I sort of was a bit scared <laughs> that anyone, because Richmond was so dominant. The same thing, oh, yeah. like Richmond was the dominant team of that era as well. And it's sort of nice to, to be able to have that over there. And I think they genuinely thought, like, it was one of those nights, sort of like the year later where we played GWS and lost in the preliminary final. Richmond fans, I think that night had the same mentality we had the year later. It was sort of like, how good is this? How are we going to get grand final tickets? Like, what are you going to do to get grand final tickets rather than shit? We've actually got to win tonight. Yeah. So I think that was kind of nice to sort of stick it up them a little bit, um, and probably and get the wood over them. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, we did win the next week against West Coast, which makes yeah. it a lot sour. But yeah, probably that 2010 preliminary final, that first quarter was just best game of best game of footy I reckon I've ever seen Collingwood play. Um, yeah, other than that. Trying to think other games of footy. I reckon I was really young. North Melbourne played Essendon, and North Melbourne were twelve goals up at like the five minute mark of the second quarter. Essendon came back and beat them, and that was probably like the last era of like high kicking, you know, high scoring, not that much defensive pressure, and that was probably like a good game for a neutral to watch. But yeah, those preliminary final wins are great for me. They're probably the Collingwood ones up there. Favorite games of footy. Awesome, awesome. I I love hearing all the the different ones and the smile on your face as you talked about it. Fantastic. So Ross, oh, it's been an awesome conversation. It brings it brings back it brings back like the greatest. It brings back some of those sort of amazing memories you have, and you think, wow, you sort of think, oh, that was like X amount of years ago, but you can still remember it like it was yesterday. It's sort of like, as I said, I remember watching Ben Johnson. Literally, he turned. He got a handball from Heathshaw. Turned Cameron Ling, who's the captain of Geelong at the time, turned him inside out, stepping around him once, goes back, 50 metres out, left foot, kicks it straight through the middle, hands up in the air. Everyone around us is going absolutely nuts as well. Everyone's hugging everyone. It's like, geez, we're seven goals up against the best side of the last few years and we're probably going to play in a grand final. This is unbelievably awesome. Uh, you, you can't beat that feeling in my view. You just can't mm. beat it. 100% agree. Absolutely love it. Love seeing it. Well, that is going to actually do it for the episode. That's all I have for the conversation. A, a brilliant conversation. I love your passion. It's fantastic to see that. So genuinely appreciate having you on the podcast today. Yeah. I love having, yeah, love being on. And yeah, I love your passion, Johnny. And as I said, I love love hearing these stories of uh, people from overseas, especially Americans who, who sort of gravitate towards our game. And it's great to see the Australian rules football, even though we're never going to be the number one sport in the world. It's great to see we've got a bit of a cult following over in other parts of the world. And yeah, I've heard all, I've, I know some people that have been over there in the US and USAFL is, uh, is growing rapidly. And it seems as though, um, you know, hopefully in the future, there'll be some uh, more American players come out here. But yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have, have me on. So I really appreciate it. And go awesome. Fires in 2023. Yeah, well, we'll cross we'll cross our fingers that you're right that we'll, we'll maybe see some USA USA born players eventually uh, getting drafted and play, potentially playing footy. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for our episode again today. Keep an eye out; more episodes are still coming. We are going to get to the AFL season because that's what we do. We got to keep footy going all year round. So, keep an eye out. Another episode will be back, and we will see you again very very soon.